Facebook has suddenly become popular in our house. It's been popular for a little bit. It's called The Inward Journey, and it's by, who's it by? Gene Edwards, and you can't buy it anywhere. This price tag says $8.99 at family bookstores. Remember that? That was the Christian bookstore in the mall, right? <laughs> that would later turn in, is that? No, that was Zondervan, wasn't it? Family bookstores. Anyway, um, I'm not going to read any of this today to you, but I might read some of this by the same author in a couple weeks because he's got a really good book about King David. But uh, this book called The Inward Journey is all about suffering and why suffering is not a waste of time. And I have a buddy that I was sitting around a campfire last night, and when I worked at the rescue mission, he would come and he would preach at chapel, and he would meet some guys, and then he would leave, and he'd say, man, those guys need to read The Inward Journey. I think everybody at the rescue mission needs to read The Inward Journey. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, everybody that suffers. Actually, everybody should read The Inward Journey. <laughs> so, so, The Inward Journey, that's your ad, brought to you by Book of the Day, etc. All right, that's not where we are today. All right, you guys, I'm going to keep to my promise. We're only going to spend three weeks on David and Bathsheba. And today is the third week. So, the end is near. I also told some people this week that I've spent three weeks on David and Bathsheba, and they all gave together the, Good grief, what are you doing? <laughs> but, it's worth it. You'll see. So, 2 Samuel chapter 12. Um, so, the David and Bathsheba event happened. David needs to cover his tracks because now Bathsheba's pregnant. And so he calls her husband to the front lines of battle. And he tells his boss, send him in to fight this way. And nobody ever fights that way. And it's just dumb. And you're going to get killed. And Joab is Uriah's boss. And he knows that that's how it works. And he knows that David's trying to kill Uriah. But he doesn't interfere. Uriah gets killed. Bathsheba's sad, right? Nathan comes, and he tells the story. And Nathan's the prophet, and he says, there's this rich man, and he had a lamb, and there's a poor man, and he had one single lamb that was like his pet, and he kept it in the house. And the rich man had all these sheep. And a guest came to the rich man, and the rich man took the poor man's sheep and killed it and ate it. And David is furious. And listen to what David says. This is chapter 12, verse 5. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. Notice he didn't say will die. That will be important here in a minute. He deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Isn't that wild? The end there, it's not because he took the, the sheep. It's because he had no pity on this poor man who only had one sheep. So the return it fourfold, this is kind of awesome. This is not just David getting mad and saying, I'm going to make him pay four times over. 
This is a straight up law from Exodus that came down from Moses that anytime somebody steals, so if I go steal one of Jim's sheep and I kill it and I eat it and Rick catches me and now I'm guilty, I have to give Jim four sheep. But if I steal a cow from Mike and I kill his cow and you catch me and I'm busted, I have to give five cows to Mike. I don't know why. It's just in there. So retribution for cows is more than retribution for sheep. It's kind of a good thing that Nathan tells this parable to trick David with sheep. Because David says, oh, whoever did this deserves to die, and they're going to pay back fourfold what happened. Now we also know from reading the Psalms that David is a prophet. He's got Nathan, his prophet, that tells him things from God, but there's also times that David himself hears from God and learns things. And there's all kinds of things in the Psalms, and I encourage you guys, just learn how to pray the Psalms. That's what I've been doing for the last month, just learning how to pray the Psalms, and it, it transforms you. It really, it's amazing. And David says things in the Psalms that came true. Came true in Jesus' life, they came true in David's life. Sometimes they came true in David's life and in Jesus' life. So David says this. Nathan says to David, you are the man. What? Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. All of a sudden, this isn't just a parable. This is a message from God. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And he goes through this list of all the things that God did to help David get into this spot. And then David trashed it. David already had at least eight wives. He had a couple extra girlfriends besides those wives when he got Bathsheba. He already had numerous kids by all of those wives and girlfriends. And then he went and got Bathsheba. Do you remember the, the warning from Samuel when Israel said, give us a king. Samuel, give us a king. And Samuel said, if you get a king, he's going to take all the prettiest of your daughters to be his wives. He's going to take the strongest of your horses to be in his army. And he's going to take all the strongest of your young men to be in his army. He's going to take all the best of your land to be his crops. He's going to be corrupt. And God said, I'm your king. And they said, we want a human king. We want a man to be our king. And God was bummed. But God cares for his people. And he will even give them the freedom to make bad choices. And so he gave them Saul. And Saul did all the stuff that he predicted. <laughs> then Saul rebelled and did wrong. David comes on the scene. And up until this whole Bathsheba event, David has been awesome. He has been a great, great king. And even before that, God makes his covenant. Remember we talked about that just before the Bathsheba chapters. God makes a covenant with David. Somebody descended from you will always be on a throne. Will always rule. And then this happens. Wow. So David hears all of this from Nathan. 
Skip down to verse 13. David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has put away your sin onto someone else, and you will not die. Do you remember when David says, Whoever did this deserves to die? He was right. But whoever did it isn't going to die. Because Nathan says, Your sin is going to be transferred to another person, which is Jesus. Jesus took that. Your sin is going to be transferred. It's going to be taken away. Nevertheless, but because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you is going to die. And then Nathan left. So there is punishment and there is a curse and there are consequences and it's awful. I was going over this this week. And again, you know, why in the world... Would this happen? Why in the world would this child die, right? And that's a really hard, troubling thing. And I forget if it was a commentary or a sermon I was listening to or something. And uh, the guy, he said, there's a whole lot in the Bible that isn't explained. That's hard to get. And it's hard to grasp. There's a whole lot in the Bible that is explained. And so, if you're trying to figure something out, go with what is explained. Go with what is is clear and learn that and read that and dwell on that. And from the easy to understand stuff, you'll be able to look at the hard to understand stuff and it'll make sense. Does that make sense? So a lot of people, like me, when I first became a Christian... When I first became a Christian, I went right after all of the really hard, confusing stuff. And the problem was, I didn't have the faith to really grow in those things because it was all confusing and it was all hard to understand. Then I started reading other books and I started really getting discipled by some people that cared about me and wanted to help me grow in the Lord. And we talked about the really simple things. And the really clear things. And as I grew in all the really clear things, my trust and my faith increased. So that now when I come across a thing that's hard to understand, I trust God so much that I can say, God, I don't have any clue what in the world is going on here. But I have this whole other huge treasure house of trust then I'm going to trust you to explain that to me someday. Someday I might understand that. And then I can go on. If I just go after the hard to explain things and I didn't have a whole treasure hold of things, I would spend all of my faith treasure on trying to figure out something that rabbis have been arguing about for about 3,000 years. (laughs) Okay. So I'm not going to be any smarter than 3,000 years worth of rabbis, so I'm going to let that go. But then something happens. So this child is struck with sickness and is going to die. This child happened because of sin. Because of of David's sin. But, I heard this guy, he was a specialist in church conflicts and church splits. And I heard him speak one time and he said, it was really good. He said, churches are just like people. 
He doesn't always smile on the circumstances in which they're made, but once they're made, he loves them, and he wants all of them to draw near to him. And I thought, that is so awesome. Not just how it applies to churches, but how it applies to people. There's all kinds of circumstances where God is not smiling on the circumstances that started it, but by golly, now that it's here, he loves it. And he wants them to seek after him and to draw near to him. And so this child is not a mistake. No child is a mistake. For whatever reasons, this child is going to die. And David does not want it to die. Whoa. So he's, Uriah died. David has taken in Uriah's widow as his own wife into his household. And he is caring for her all the way from months and months of being pregnant. The child is born. We don't know how much time passes. Like this child could not be an infant. This child could be born and like grown up some. Gosh, it never gets a name. So that makes a lot of people think, uh, usually Jewish people got their name on their eighth day. So since this child is never named, they suspect it was less than eight days old. So David starts praying. He fasts. Uh, let's see here. He, uh, David sought, the, sought God on behalf of the child. David fasted, went in, lay all night on the ground. The elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, and he would not eat food with them. So the advisors of the king are like, here, come on, king, let's, let's get out of here. He's like, get off of me. I'm just laying here on the floor praying. I'm just going to lay here. He's probably in the tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. He's probably just, I'm just groaning in prayer night and day, not eating, agonizing over his prayer. So, what did he pray? What if we could know what he was praying while he was crying out for this child's life? Well, we do. It's in Psalm 51, oddly enough. And... It's, it gives us a whole different insight into this whole scene of David seeing Bathsheba, taking her, killing her husband, all this wicked stuff. He gets confronted by Nathan. He gets so mad. This guy needs to pay fourfold. He deserves to die. Nathan says, it's you. He's like, oh, I have sinned. And he prays Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's like, God, wash me clean. I am, I am filthy. There's a, a televangelist pastor and he, he sinned and he, you know, he wrote a book about it and still made money off of that. But he said after he did it, he went back to his hotel room and he couldn't get the water hot enough. He was so, he had so much guilt and so much pain that he just wanted, he wanted to wash himself clean. And he just as much as he could crank that hotel hot water up, it wasn't hot enough to wash away his sin as much as he tried. 
And it's true. It's only God can take this away. Then David says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And that's always been a little trouble for me because Uriah is sitting up in heaven like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh, I'm dead. You sinned against me, right? This sick child that's about to be killed. He's like, no, all the army guys that were with Uriah that died, they all got sinned against. And it's really wild that David says, against you and you alone have I sinned. So there are all kinds of men in Israel taking other married women as their wives. There's all kinds of people sinning in all kinds of different ways. There's people killing each other, right? This David having Uriah the Hittite killed was not the only murder that ever happened in Israel. But David was given all of this power by God. David used his God-given power to do all of this sin. Right? The whole story begins. It's the time of year when kings are out fighting. And David is using his kingly power to sit at home in his bathtub and to chill. He's using his kingly power to just call that lady. Bring her to me. I'm going to marry her. He's using his kingly power, the sword of the Amorites, right, to kill Uriah. And then he's using his kingly power to cover the whole thing up. So he sees this isn't just murder. This isn't just adultery. This is taking God's gift and using it for evil. He says, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. He's saying, I know that you're right, God, and what I did was wrong. There is no, I can't make an excuse about this. Wow. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about how evil his mom was. He's just talking about how mankind has fallen. That all of us are actually in this spot. Gosh. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. This is where things get changed, right? I can, there were, um, there were rabbis in Jesus' day that were so proud that they did not look with lust on any women that they walked around like this all the time. And they had bruises and scars and scabs on the top of their head from running into things because they were so holy. They so didn't look. They had you know osteoporosis and infected bald spot. And man, that just showed how holy they were. Gosh, and what's on those guys' mind? Don't look at that pretty lady. Don't look at that pretty lady. Don't look at that pretty lady. They're meditating on pretty ladies all day long, and they've got the scars and the slip disc to prove it. That's not in the inward place. That's not in the heart and soul. In the secret heart, David calls it in this psalm. 
purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. It all happens deep down in our soul, right? That's where we get healed. This is how you can hear all kinds of stuff on church on Sunday and you can pray like crazy. And then you can be driving down the road and some random secular song comes on the radio and the Holy Spirit works through that to change you on the inside and you're transformed. The Lord does the work. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Remember, this is David laying on the floor in front of the Ark of the Covenant in the tent. This is, it doesn't need sacrifices and all that stuff. They don't have the tabernacle. He can just go right in. There it is. And he drops down and he is eaten for days and he's pleading for this child's life. That's his fault. That It's all his fault. And notice, it's so awesome. Nowhere in here is there any, well, Bathsheba shouldn't have been taking a bath on the roof. She is never blamed. There's one way that we think that we get out of sin which is by blaming other people, right? It is all, they should have made that stop sign bigger. You know, whatever. They shouldn't have had their hubcaps so shiny on that car parked in front of my house or I wouldn't have stolen it. No, me. I sinned it. I did it. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. This is one of my favorites. What happened to Saul? Saul had the Holy Spirit of God on him. He didn't do what God said, and God went and took it away and said, my Holy Spirit's not going to be with you anymore. You're going to go be a bigger fool than ever, and then you're going to die. Then he comes over to David, and he says, I am going to put my Spirit on you forever. And I'm always going to have somebody on your throne. A couple thousand years later, Jesus comes, dies on the cross for our sins, and sends his Holy Spirit as a seal, as a, as a brand, as a mark for all who would believe. So this, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I love to pray the Psalms. I encourage you to pray the Psalms. But this line, when you get to this, you can say, thank you, Lord that I live after the Holy Spirit has come and after Jesus has died on the cross for my sins because this Holy Spirit cannot be taken away from me. The very fact that I am alive, I was crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. That's Galatians. In Ephesians it says, when you believed, you were sealed with God's Holy Spirit. Does that mean I do right? Does that mean I live by the Spirit? No. Living by the Spirit is a thing you're told to do. That's on you. Live by the Spirit. Well, how in the world do I live by the Spirit? Well, you're sealed with it. The Holy Spirit is in you. That's how you do it. 
Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold within me a willing spirit. I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, God of my salvation. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. David's just like, God, I want to worship you, but the burden of sin is too heavy. Take away my sin. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. I love this. David is the richest man in the universe at this time. Okay? He has more. Remember when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city and they killed a bull every six feet to feed to thousands and thousands of people? If he could bring the sacrifices... He can afford it, right? He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. I know that no number of cows, no number of cash money is going to take away my sin. You would not be pleased with the burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He was proud when he ordered all this stuff to serve himself and get what he wanted. And that displeased God. And now he is submitting. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden, who's he thinking about? He's not thinking about himself or his kingdom. He's thinking about all these people that God gave him to lead. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings, and bulls will be offered at your altar. God does love sacrifices, but not if your heart's in the wrong place. So David prays all of that, and the baby dies. And then, what's David do? He goes and gets a shower, says, hey y'all, bring me some food, it's time to have a feast. And they're all like, what in the world? While the child was sick, he was fasting, and now he's not even mourning. He's not even grieving. Is he grieving? Is he even sad? And David hears them all saying that. And he says, while the child was alive, I fasted and I wept. And I said, who knows whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live. But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. David understood God's mercy. And so he went for it and he saw it and he wanted that mercy. And I think he received it, even though the child died. It wasn't that he wanted God to do what David wanted. It was that David knew that he needed God's mercy. And so then this totally crazy thing happens. David comforted, this has been a troubling verse to me all week long. David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And I'm just like, what in the word world? Dirtbag, get out of here. You baby died, you killed my husband, all this business. Somehow, through all of that, Bathsheba is comforted and now is pregnant with another son of David. And God sends word through Nathan 
to name this child Jedidiah because of the Lord. You might have a footnote that says Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. He's also named Solomon. And Solomon is God's message to David that your sin has been taken away and transferred to somebody else. And from now on, every kid you have is not going to be a disaster. And your whole life is not going to be punishment and punishment. He said there's going to be a sword in your house and it's going to be bad and the judgment's going to come that you prophesied yourself. You are going to pay fourfold. But I love you and I'm going to help you and I'm going to keep my covenant. And I'm going to fulfill this. Solomon, you guys, the only reason why we know Solomon and that sounds familiar, is because he will be the future king of Israel. He'll write the book of Ecclesiastes. He'll write the book of Proverbs. <laughs> Solomon is God's sign that he does forgive sins, that he has transferred it to another who would take all of our sins away. And so Solomon is born, and he won't be mentioned again for the rest of this book. He's going to just, you just need to know Solomon. Hmm, that's an interesting name. Jedediah. Jedediah Solomon, son of David, whatever. God loves to forgive our sins. It says in 1 John 1 9, you guys never be afraid to Google a Bible verse. We were driving here this morning, and I needed this, and I didn't know where it was, and I asked Cindy, just Google this. And she found the address for me. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is actually faithful and just to forgive us. He is anxious. He is in a hurry to forgive our sins. And then you know what? We can walk around about our sin the same way David did, gosh, after the child died. Did David define his whole rest of his life as a king who had lost a child? No. That did not become part of his identity. Part of his identity was, I am a king who has been shown mercy. He would say in Psalms, Blessed is the man whose sin is not counted against him. And the Apostle Paul would quote that in Romans. Blessed is the man whose sin doesn't count. Wow. And that is the kingdom that he would live on for the rest of his kingdom. So King David was super awesome for chapters and chapters. He does this thing, and then you know what he does? He asks for forgiveness and he moves on. And for all the rest, he will be a great king. Fourfold, remember how he said, we're going to, whoever did this should pay fourfold. This child that died is number one. He actually prophesied and he's going to pay back for the death of Uriah with three more deaths in his family. Not caused by him necessarily, but certainly prophesied and certainly brought about by the sin that's in humankind. So.
So we'll pick up with that next week. I kind of spoiled it, didn't I? Next week, somebody's going to die. At least three people are going to die. Maybe not all next week, but anyway, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that we can come to you and that you love to show us mercy. Thank you so much that you are quick to forgive. We might think that you're quick to judge us. We might think that you're quick to condemn us. But that's not what the Bible says. And we thank you for your word that promises us that you are quick to forgive and show us mercy. We love you. We exalt you. And we, we want all of you, Lord. Amen. So church, as you go this week, don't do anything terrible, but may you see and receive his mercy in so many ways. God bless you.